thing that, that I really want us to understand is that there is a reality that we're talking about, not a metaphor. There is a real life, there is a real body, there are real resources, there is real interaction that is intended to accomplish real outcomes, which is the community that is the same that the Trinity has. In other words, we are invited to join or to come into Trinitarian community with the Godhead. This is Nita Erlin, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. Today we are in part seven of our series, Commissional Church. Tori Bjorklund, president of TRC Ministries, continues his teaching, looking at growing as the body of Christ and operating in the name of Jesus. Last week, we didn't really cover the ground that I wanted to cover, so we're going to try to do that today. I want to connect a few dots for you first, and then we'll get back to the discussion of mean to operate in the name of Jesus. So to start with, I'd like to start with Matthew chapter 16. We've read this already, verse 18 and 19, but I'd like to read it again together if we can. Somebody volunteer to read that. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, we talked about this, and I won't go into it again. There's some controversial discussions at times about what this actually means in many different ways. However, the one thing that is clear, and I don't, I think indisputable, is that Jesus says he is the one who will be building. And so we want to make sure that we focus on that and that we try to understand that. And so I want to also have us read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Somebody grab that and somebody grab Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Now, I wish we had time to just read pretty much the whole chapter 4 in Ephesians, and we'll actually be coming back to that in much more detail uh, shortly, I mean in a week or two, but I want to just point out in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 something here, and similarly in Colossians 2, 18 and 19. So somebody read Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 for me. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, so I want to point out a few pieces here that I think are important. First of all, what is the body? What is he referring to there, Paul? The church. Okay, he's referring to the church. In other words, Paul's referring to the same thing Jesus was referring to. Do you see that? And then if you read again, he says that coming from where will the whole body be? Uh, read, read that again, will you? Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Okay, so if we're talking yeah. about Christ. Okay, there, and we're talking about the body. Okay, continue. From him, the whole body joined. Okay, from who? 
from Christ the whole body. Okay, continue on. Joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows. Okay, so here's the thing I want to make a connection. Jesus Christ, from him, the body grows and builds itself. Did you see that? From him, the whole body grows. And by the way, it's fitted together. And what holds it together? The joints. And I mean, the, where it comes together is the joints. And what's held together is the ligaments. This is the analogy that Paul is using. But it, from him, it grows. And it builds itself up. Now, how can it build itself up? This is, you remember we talked about that there is an actual life that we're talking about. We're not talking about an abstract idea that is simply a metaphor for something. The life of Jesus Christ exists and is alive and active today. And where is it active today? In the church. And the Spirit of God is alive and active in each one of the members of the body today. And part of the natural outcome of a body that is making use of the resources and the teleonomy is working, the processes are happening, part of that natural result is growth. If you look at Timothy, he doesn't have to work at growing because he has all the things that are functioning in his body that are bringing him to that, to that growth. And he just simply needs to what? Get the resources. He needs to abide in the ecosystem that provides for the needs of that body. So what is, what is the ecosystem for the life of Christ? The church, the one anotherness, the community, okay? And this goes, by the way, all the way back to the Trinity. The idea of the Trinity is unified community. This is the natural dwelling place for the life of God. And when the natural dwelling place for the life of God is allowed to exist, the life of God will grow the body of Jesus Christ in a very natural process, in a very natural way. And that's how the body grows itself and how it is also from Christ. Let's go to Colossians just to see similar something here. Colossians chapter 2, 18, and somebody read that for us. Okay, so again, if you take the parenthetical statement about the joints and about the thing being held together... What you have, if you just set that aside for just a moment, what you have in the sentence structure here, that the head from whom the entire body is what grows with a growth that is from God. So what is our role in this individually? Okay, that's one. That's exactly right. Okay, holding fast to the head. So, okay, so if you go on just a little further to the first part of the chapter uh, three of Colossians, what does he say? He says, therefore, since you, your life is in Christ, you remember reading it? What, what should you do? Set your mind on the things above where Christ is. Okay. This is part of our personal role. And this is holding fast to the head. It's a focus on Jesus Christ as the person. But there's also another role. 
It's coming together. It's being together. It's being committed to one another. It's sticking together, holding together. What I mean by coming together actually is being in physical connection with one another in the same place at the same time, but not necessarily as meaning only in some sacred manner. So I love this statement from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you maybe are familiar with him. He said, there is no such thing two Christians meeting one-on-one. There is no such thing as two Christians meeting one-on-one. Why is that? Because Jesus is there. It's no longer a one-on-one. It's the coming together and being in the presence of Jesus Christ that causes the body of Jesus Christ to grow. The natural outcome of the life of Christ in proper community, which is the ecosystem for the life of Christ, the natural outcome for the life of Christ in proper community is the growth of the body. So, you know, Paul, as we have you of the body, uh, as is talking about the church, given the body the authority to build or grow itself. For example, the role of the gifts. When Paul talks about the role of the gifts, what, he, what does he say we should do with our gift? Building up the body, building up one another. It's a one anotherness. Remember, one of the gifts, he says, hey, this gift isn't real helpful when you are in one another. It's a good thing in an individual scenario, and, it, and, it, and it's a gift that helps build you up. We're talking about what? Tongues. It builds you up. And it has the potential to build others up as well if they understand what's going on. The point here is that the one anotherness is about the growth of the body. The one anotherness hides the community which is the natural habitat the life of God. The natural habitat for the life of God community. So when I say coming together, I mean in any form but being sure to interact. Now, what happens is if we are offended by somebody, if we are irritated, we do one of two things. What do they call that mode when you get adrenalized? Fight or flight. And this, by the way, is a, is a perfectly normal response of the body, but also why Paul said he has learned, he has taught his body, he has trained his body by making it his slave, so that he doesn't act with these natural responses of fight or flight. And so what happens is when we become angry, frustrated, irritated, or otherwise having an issue with somebody, we do one of two things. We either tear them down, or tear down the body, or we go away. What happens when we go away? We can no longer be in a one another community. It doesn't build up the body. It might edify our soul, and it might be a good thing for us to do to go away. And in fact, if you feel like tearing down, maybe you should go away. Understand that maybe your objective would be to build up your relationship with God, strengthening your faith and your focus on Jesus Christ, holding fast to the head, so that what? When you come back together, you can be part of building up that body and not tearing it down. So this is why I think it's really important for us to realize that there is an ecosystem. There is a habitat, and and it is what is conducive 
to life that God has actually given to the church. And our role is to participate in providing or being part of the provision for that, for that ecosystem. Another part is we exercise the body. Now, as we exercise the body, this comes to the question, Neva, about what is growth. As we exercise the body, what are we attempting to do? We're not attempting to add parts to the body, right? You don't exercise to get a third arm. Athletes work out. And Paul talks about athletes and how they do what they do. They, they don't just train as if they have no objective in their training. They're trying something. I, I love the statement. I don't know if Herb Brooks actually said it or not, but it's in the movie The Miracle. They have the character of Herb Brooks saying, I don't want people, I don't want men who are willing to do anything to win. Or I don't want men who are willing to do what it takes to win. Because people will say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win. I'll leave it all out on the ice. It was, it was a hockey thing. I'll leave it all out on the ice. I'm willing to put it all out there. He says, I don't want that. I want people who are willing to do what it takes to be prepared to win. You understand? If you, if you have the objective of some particular sport, Paul used the idea of running, right? He said, people don't run for no reason. They run, what, to win a perishable wreath, you know, or we could say a, a gold medal. But if you were going to set out to run this race, like a, a, a marathon or something, would you think that you are more likely to accomplish it if you say, I'm willing to go to that race and put everything I've got out there? What's the likelihood that you would actually finish even a 10K? Not if you have not conditioned, if you have not be done what it takes to be prepared to run the race. But this is where I, I feel like the church and its teaching has not done a good job. We've got one or two options we give people. What's the one option that gave that you, was given to you, Dave, that you got so excited about as a young man just a, a, a few hours maybe before you failed miserably? Yielding. To the Lord. Yielding. We, we will get this lightning strike. There are something will happen and we will become a different person. By the way, this is, in my opinion, an abuse of uh, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He said we are a new creation, a new creature. We have a different kind of life. He didn't say we're a new person. We're the same person that we were before Christ. We now have a new life and we have an opportunity to utilize that life and what it brings. To become what? Not a new person, but conformed to the image of Jesus Christ as this person. Okay? And this idea of just simply yielding or letting God is some kind of magic, you know, some hocus pocus. And now we feel differently. We no longer have lust. We, I mean, sometimes that kind of thing happens. There are people who have been miraculously delivered from an addiction. From a, a strong addiction that has plagued them. This is not necessarily the biblical model. And it's great when it happens. But there were many lame people left in Israel when Jesus walked this earth. Meaning, he did miracles. And we can't discount that. But that's not what he was entirely about. Do you understand what I mean? So, when we exercise the body, we're not trying to add parts. But instead, 
we are exercising or utilizing the natural processes of the life that we have and the natural abilities that we have been given. These are the gifts of the Spirit. They become a part of our nature. They become a part of who we are. They are things that we can do, and we begin to utilize those in a way as individual members we use them in order to act in relationship with each other and Jesus Christ. As we do that, we are growing the body. And so, when you think about exercising, you know, when you want to grow your biceps, what do you do? What's a good exercise for increasing the mass of your biceps? Curls. What's a curl? You get, you get a bar, or one, either one or two, and you do this. They call those curls, okay? What are you using to do that? How many members of your body are you using to do that? <laughs> Most of them. Okay? One of some of the things they do is they say if you sit down and do curls and you put your elbow on this pad and you do that, that's what they call isolation. Okay? That's so you're not using your core and, you know, and everything else. That isolates a certain set of muscles. But guess what? Which member is your bicep? Affecting. Yeah, it's not just your arm. In fact, you got a joint that has ligaments here, and your bicep is involved in both members. The point is, you cannot isolate individual members. You can isolate individual muscles, but guess what? They're connected to ligaments, which support joints. Do you understand what I'm saying? We cannot exercise the body without the cooperation of multiple members. It is impossible for me to go off as a hermit and exercise the body. I cannot be done. So our role is to stand in relationship in a way that allows maybe that irritation to continue. And consider it all joy when we encounter various trials and tribulations with our brother. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to be committed to standing in relationship for the body of Christ to be built up. It's because the joints and the ligaments are the connecting tissue of individual members. And so here's a here's an issue. Yeah, you bring up the issue of Abraham and Lot, and that Abraham, I think, with wisdom, parted from Lot. And so what was the reason for it? It wasn't just he and Lot. It was their whole households, right? And what's the dynamic going on here? They don't have the life that we have that provides the necessary resources to actually build up the body. Abraham had a call on his life. He also had a family, and he had to get both of those to work. Do you understand what I mean? His call was to be, in essence, the representative of God on the earth at that place in that moment in time. But he could not continue to be part of that and be at war with his nephew. And he didn't have the ability to depend upon the life of Jesus Christ to be there to develop what needs to be developed in that. That was not the church. It was the beginning of the shadow of the church. Okay, Abraham was the beginning of the shadow of the church. Why do I say that? Abraham was the founder of what nation? Israel came from Abraham and was the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. But what we find out with Paul is that the church was the true fulfillment of the promise and that the nation of Israel was a shadow of what God intended to do. 
Okay, we're getting way off course here. But the thing that, that I really want us to understand is that there is a reality that we're talking about, not a metaphor. There is a real life. There is a real body. There are real resources. There is real interaction that is intended to accomplish real outcomes, which is the community that is the same that the Trinity has. In other words, we are invited to join or to come into Trinitarian community with the Godhead. We are invited to participate in that kind of community. And we can't do it. So we have to learn how to hold fast to the head, allowing the life that he has given us to be the driving factor, the driver of bringing that community about. And when we focus on that, it changes everything. When the discussion becomes what kind of music, for example, many churches have split or or have split between early service and late service and things like that over the music. When they begin to have these conversations, you can start saying, first and foremost, as it depends upon me, let me be at peace with my brother. Now let's have a conversation to the degree that we can be at peace. And if it irritates me, I will thank God for the opportunity for the exercise. And if I irritate you, I hope you will also thank God for the opportunity to exercise and maybe the opportunity to correct me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is it connecting any dots? We're talking about reality here. Okay, the growth of the body is not size, but functional ability. Okay? So there will be a point at which Timothy will quit growing. Uh, Daniel, are you continuing to grow or are you pretty much done? Yeah, okay. There, yeah, I, I have continued to grow, but in the wrong direction as well. But in essence, our bodies quit growing, you know, and you got to be careful here with analogies. You don't want to stretch them so far that they break. But the point I want to make here is that when we think about growth, sometimes we think about size. But Daniel, in fact, Nathan can probably remember when he was at his full top growth spurt and what came after that? When you quit actually growing in size, you began to learn how to use that man body that you left with. And it's functional ability that actually was the next phase of growth. And this is really what Paul is talking about. Why I wish we, why I hope we take the time to read and go through Ephesians chapter 4, because what Paul is talking about in this growth is the functional ability of the body. Until we all attain to what? The knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? To a mature man, to the measure of a stature that belongs to Jesus Christ. Until we become mature as children of God. This is what growth is about. So, we're not adding members. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't want to see more people come into this community of the body of Christ, whether it's in our group or some other uh, some other local gathering, that might be growing in size, you know, the analogy of getting bigger. But even if every person in this world were part of the body of Christ, which I don't believe is the case, but even if it were the case, there would still be growth needed. Do you understand? If you get to the point where you can't get any bigger you still have functional ability as a growth. Boy, we still didn't get to the name of Jesus. All right. As a church, we should be helping one another exercise our gifts 
and grow in personal maturity. That's what we should be engaged in together. Now, I hope to be able to talk about, well, how do you do that? But if we don't have the objective, all the strategies in the world will have no impact. We won't know what's a good strategy if we don't know the objective. As a church, we should be helping one another exercise our gifts, grow in personal maturity. Moral character, or the image of Christ, is the measuring rod of personal maturity, while unity and love is the measure of corporate maturity. Okay? Do you understand what I mean? Individually, as we become more and more like Jesus Christ in our character, we will also see as a body, as a corporate body of Jesus Christ, whether you and me, whether me and Steve Ang, you know who Steve Ang is, he's a pastor over at uh, Catalyst Church, or Dave and Peter Reiches, I'm talking about body of Christ that we interact with in all of our affairs. As we become more and more like Jesus Christ, what we will see is more and more love for one another. Now, was that not the definition that Jesus gave to his disciples as what distinguished them from everybody else in the world? They will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. The way we get to that love for one another is helping each other exercise our gifts to grow in personal maturity, in spiritual maturity, becoming more like Jesus Christ. Okay. That's not my practical answer. That's the objective, okay? All right. As we grow in personal maturity, we have an edifying effect on those with whom we are in relationship. And the church is naturally built up as a result. That's the process. As we grow in personal maturity, we have an edifying effect. Uh, Edifying means to be building up. We have a building up effect on those with whom we are in relationship. And the church is naturally built up. All right. What does it mean to operate in the name of Jesus? Why is this important? It's because it is in the name of Jesus that we operate in this corporate environment. What does that mean? So why why do I say it's in the name of Jesus? Jesus said, we, we read that in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name. I'm there in your midst. Last week we read several of the passages where Jesus said that. Things like, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name. By the way, what's the very next thing he says? This I command you that you love one another. In that day, here's another one, John 16. You will not question me about anything. I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. You're familiar with these in my name statements. What does it mean? I'm going to try to tell you in five minutes or less. That's a scary thought. Matthew 7, 21 through 27. What does that say? Anybody familiar with any part of that scripture? Have you heard this? Jesus said, on that day, many will come to me and say, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and, and perform many miracles in your name? Now, did Jesus say, what are you talking about? You never did that stuff. No. Did they actually do that stuff? We have no reason to believe that they didn't. Okay, here's my trick question for the day. When did the disciples receive the Spirit? Okay, that's generally what we think. 
And I really don't have a definitive answer. All I know is that after Jesus was raised from the dead and before Pentecost, do you remember he breathed on them and said, receive my spirit. Part of the teaching of Jesus just before his death was telling that I'm going to be go with the Father, and when I go, he will send the Spirit. Incidentally, in my name, God acts in the name of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? I don't mean God asks when we uh, acts when we use the name of Jesus Christ, but Jesus said, when I go to the Father, I will ask him, and he will send the Spirit in my name, the yeah, Holy so. Spirit. I, the question was, when did they receive the Holy Spirit? And Jesus made it clear just before his death that, that it isn't until after his resurrection that the Holy Spirit will be sent upon them. The Spirit of God was promised through the prophet Joel to everybody that is willing to receive it under the conditions that God placed. And that came about on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection. The Spirit of God, it says, baptized them, immersed them. It surrounded them, completely filled the room, and they had tongues of fire, whatever that means to look like. I don't know what that looks like, but they had tongues of fire over their head, and there was this tremendously dramatic experience that happened. It was so dramatic that everybody in the town heard it and came running. This is in uh, Acts chapter 2. They said, what is going on? And out of this house where this happened, out of the room, the people came that were in that room that had this experience happen that was so real that outsiders heard it happen. They came and they found a bunch of people that were exhibiting supernatural abilities to speak in every language that was present from all the people that had come from all different kinds of lands. Well, there's some controversy as to whether that's the same as what Paul was talking about, speaking in tongues, or this was a one-off or whatever. But we don't need to get into that right now. Nonetheless, it was a supernatural expression of the Spirit of God happening. And everybody observed it and said, what's going on? And Peter said, this is the fulfillment of the promise that was given through the prophet. And that promise was what some people refer to as the general distribution or dispensation of the Spirit. I want to be careful about the term dispensation because that's used in, in multiple means different things to different people, but, but the general outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so it's clear from Jesus' teaching that the disciples did not have the Holy Spirit. But the point that I wanted to make with that is, did he not send out the twelve? And when he questioned them about what happened, what did they say? People are healed, demons are cast out, and then he sent out 70 more. And not 70 more, but he sent them out again, but 70 of them, the second class, with the seniors who are going to graduate soon. And what happened? They came back, and they reported the same thing. And then later, Jesus asked them about that. When you went, did you experience any lack? You remember when I sent you out and said, don't take a coat, don't take extra shoes, don't take, remember that? Don't take a money belt. And he said, did you lack anything? No, we didn't. They were operating in the name of Jesus. But they did not have the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a point. Miraculous things happened. Do you remember the seven sons of, of Sheba? Okay, what did they do? If you read it carefully, we don't have time, but if you read it carefully, it says they attempted to invoke the name of Jesus over this man. They invoked the name of Jesus over this man by saying, 
We beseech you in the name that Paul preaches, Jesus Christ, to come out of this man. And what did the what did the spirit the evil spirit say to them? Yeah, Paul, I've heard of, and Jesus, I certainly know. But I have no idea who you are. What did Jesus say when these people said, "Demons ran when we used your name. People were healed when we used your name." No, when when Matthew seven, when they said, "Lord, Lord, did we not use your name?" Do you remember what he said? I never knew you. The demons didn't know them, but they knew the name of Jesus. Jesus didn't know them, but they were using his name. Do you know what they you know what we call that? A counterfeit. What happens when you sign a name to a check that you do not have the authorization to sign? Counterfeit. What what do we call it when I sign my name to my dad's checking account and they actually honor it? Power of attorney. This is the difference. This is the difference between operating in the name of Jesus and invoking the name of Jesus. Now, not every demon obviously was cast out when somebody invoked the name of Jesus. The seven sons of Sheba found that out the hard way. But we know that it does happen. What I would challenge you to do, and we won't talk about it anymore, I think, I don't want to take any more time, is to, to go through, do a survey Every time the Bible talks about his name, you will find God the Father acting in the name of Jesus. You will find at times people actually said the words. We have that recorded. When Peter, you remember when Peter healed the lame man? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. When he was brought before the Jewish religious rulers, they said, by what authority did you do this? And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, we have done this. There's times when they invoke that. But there's many other times you will find they did not actually say those words. For example, when Paul was fed up with the, with the person that was opposing him, and he said, you're not going to talk anymore, buddy. He didn't invoke the name of Jesus, but it happened. Why? He was operating in the authority of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to operate in the name. There's nothing wrong with invoking the name. Do it as often as you care to. If you're not sure whether you're operating in the name or not, get with Jesus and cling to the head and say, what is it that you will authorize me to do? Don't count on the words. Count on knowing Jesus. Operating with power of attorney requires an intimate knowledge of the will of the person because you are representing the will of the person and acting on their behalf with their resources. This is acting in the name. Many times we also act for the benefit of the name. In other words, we maintain the good reputation of the person that holds that name. And sometimes we'll act with power of attorney simply to maintain that name. Okay, let me pray quick. God... I thank you for the name of Jesus. I thank you that the representation that he has given us of the Father is so perfect and complete that we can look to him and see you. Father, I pray that you will help us to become the kind of people that look so much like Jesus Christ. When people look at us, they see him 
that we have indeed decreased and he has indeed increased in our lives. Help us to understand that and to be committed to that and allow everything that we do to be done to the glory of Jesus Christ. And I ask it in his name. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.